Antietam National Battlefield, 6.30 a.m., August 23, 2017. It's dawn again at Antietam National Battlefield. Julie is out running, two days in a row now, and I don't mind a bit since getting up early is easy for people who can't sleep. In about 30 minutes, I'll meet her at the Roarback Bridge, or you might call it the Burnside Bridge. So I have some time now to move ahead with the Aaron Good Chronicles. I'm back where I was yesterday, once again right outside the Visitor Center in the direction of the Dunkard Church. I'm surrounded by Union and Confederate artillery pieces. I came back here today to do something. I brought with me Alexander Gardner's photograph of the dead Confederate artillerists with the Dunkard Church in the background. If Gardner were here today taking his photo, I'd be in the frame and bodies would be all around my feet. I don't do this often, but yes, I do it from time to time. I think most people who come to Antietam or Gettysburg probably stand on the field and try to imagine the terrible scope of death that happened on the small piece of turf they're standing on. The problem for me is that I don't think it's possible, not for anyone. That's probably a good thing, though. The death and carnage at Antietam exceed all our abilities to imagine even if you could hold one of Gardner's photos in your hand and stare at it. Antietam exceeds all superlatives when it comes to imagining the deaths here. It can't be done. But back to the picture. You know it, right? We have it up on our podcast page and our Facebook page right now. So take a look at it. I count six, maybe seven bodies. The legs seem to be lined up at an oblique angle somewhat towards the camera. There's a dead horse lying behind a busted-up artillery limber. In the foreground is a pair of shoes. Rough brogans, really. Some people theorize the involuntary dead were posed for this photo, and the shoes were left in the foreground as an afterthought or by accident. I'm not sure it matters. Not very much, anyway. Posed or not, these men were chewed up by the consistent barrage of Union parrot guns that targeted Colonel Lee's men throughout the day. Colonel Stephen Dill Lee remembered the day in the crossfire his troops endured as artillery hell. It makes me shudder standing here now. The peace of this morning, this breaking dawn, making it impossible to imagine what it was really like here. Chapter 1, The Dead Female Union Soldier of Antietam Question. Did any female Union soldiers die at Antietam? Do you know any reliable historical accounts? Well, our conclusion is yes. There is now credible evidence that at least one, maybe two, female Union soldiers perished in battle at Antietam. We'll break down the evidence for you in detail 
For now, let's go over a few things. First, Aaron Good dug up and located remains of thousands of dead from the battlefield at Antietam. Second, beginning just days after September 17, 1862, Aaron Good and Joseph Gill went over the battlefield to find graves. They kept up this search for graves and bodies for days, weeks, and months following the battle. Third, Aaron Good and Joseph Gill identified remains by exhuming bodies and made detailed notes about grave locations. So, who was Aaron Good? Good was born in Sharpsburg around 1810 or 1814. There are census records that use both years for his birth. He lived until 1884 and died in Sharpsburg. Aaron was the son of William Robert Good and Mary Chapline Good. It's no joke. Aaron had good parents. Early Sharpsburg history was almost entirely shaped by two families. The Chaplin family acquired a land grant from Governor Horatio Sharp and laid out the town lots, streets, and alleys around a very reliable spring. If you're a visitor to Sharpsburg, take a walk to the spring. There's an alley next to the library in town that runs from East Main Street back to the spring. There's a lot we could say just about the history around the spring, but that's not for this segment. The Good family came to Sharpsburg with the chaplains to provide legal services in conveyancing of town lots. From these prosperous family roots, Aaron was born. You would expect that Aaron's future would be just as bright and just as prosperous, but it wasn't, and we're not sure exactly what happened or why he did not flourish. There's not much to be found, even in census data, about Aaron until 1850. At that time, he was living with his widowed mother on a farm in Jefferson County, Virginia, just across the Potomac River. Aaron was about 40 years old in 1850. All his siblings were adults, and all of them lived at home with mom. But what's interesting is that census records of that period had a column labeled profession, occupation, or trade. And for all the adult sons of William Robert Good and Mary Chaplin Good, the column is filled with this word, none. Well, I've seen hundreds of census records, and none is confusing to me. I've never seen it before. If a profession or occupation was known, it would be listed. Farmer, laborer, wagon maker, blacksmith, whatever typified the work was usually written in that column. But for the good family, it was none. Reminds me of a movie about a guy who never got on track in life and lived in his parents' basement called Failure to Launch. Did all the male children of William Robert Good and Mary Chaplin Good fail to launch? Let's catch up with Aaron in 1862. He's about 50 years old now. We know Aaron Good never married. In September 1862, he lived on Antietam Street in Sharpsburg in a house owned by Harriet Good, his younger sister. Imagine, imagine that you're 50 years old and that it's 1862 in a small village of rural America. Your profession, occupation, or trade is farmhand. What is life like for you? Well, your days are long and very rough. It's a type of work today we might call hard labor. Your tools are shovels, picks, axes, saws, and heavy sledgehammers. You probably worked for several different farms. Your job would be felling trees and cutting them up, breaking down limestone rock ledges and boulders, then moving them to piles. 
removing stumps. And for all this work, what would you expect as pay? Probably commodities from the farms you worked. Sacks of corn, buckets of milk, bags of potatoes, and maybe every now and then a hog leg or a pig belly. Maybe a chicken or baskets of eggs. But not hard currency. No, not in Sharpsburg. Sharpsburg in 1860 is a small farming community. About 1,200 people lived there. There are only about 700 people living in Sharpsburg today, and compared to today, there were many more professionals, stores, and shops along the square and on Main Street. In contrast, by 1860, Gettysburg was twice the size of Sharpsburg and was a commercial banking and transportation center in south-central Pennsylvania, with a few railroads passing the town. Railroads didn't reach Sharpsburg until the late 1880s, and banking was non-existent in 1860. Aaron Good probably rarely heard the jingle of coins in his pocket, certainly not very often, and not in quantity enough to last very long. So what happened next for him, although it required the most grisly kind of work anyone can imagine, provided an opportunity to be paid in currency, and not simply bushels of wheat or apples? Remember, beginning just days after September 1862, Good and Joseph Gill went over the battlefield to find graves. They kept up this search for graves and bodies for days, weeks, and months following the battle. The question is why? Were they angels or something more sinister? Let's skip ahead to April 1865. The war has ended and Lincoln is dead. The state of Maryland has a huge problem, and the time is finally right to do something about the thousands of field graves of Union and Confederate dead scattered over a wide area, from Frederick west to Hagerstown from Hagerstown south to Sharpsburg. The graves are remnants of both Antietam and Gettysburg. There are about 8,000 field graves in this area. By this time, they had deteriorated to the point that bones and rags of the soldiers buried in them had become exposed, on top of rather than under the ground. They never really had more than a few inches of dirt or rock to cover them in the first place. The dirt and stones heaped on the bodies were meager attempts to bury the dead, and quickly eroded. By 1865, the remains of soldiers were easily visible to passers-by on every roadway, every road shoulder, and every town lot. A Confederate soldier passing through Sharpsburg on the advance to Gettysburg in June 1863 wrote home to his parents about what he saw there. Dear Mother and Father, I have been this morning over the old Sharpsburg battlefield this morning and have witnessed the most horrible sights that my eyes ever beheld. I saw dead Yankees in any number lying on top of the ground with a little dirt thrown over them and the hogs rooting them out of the ground and eating them and others lying on top of the ground with the flesh picked off their bones bleaching and they by many hundreds. Oh, what a horrible sight for human beings to look upon in a civilized country. When will this horrid war ever end? God grant the time may speedily, the time may soon come, that peace may return to our once happy country, and our lives may be spared to meet each other again on earth. May the Lord take care of you, and all, and shield you all from harm, is the prayer of your unworthy brother and son. Private George K. Harlow, D Company, 23rd Virginia.
Private Harlow's wishes for peace and reunification with his family would not be realized. In late 1863, he was captured in Virginia and sent to a prison camp in Delaware. Private George K. Harlow died of dysentery in the prison camp at Fort Delaware a few days after Lee's surrender at Appomattox on April 9, Private Harlow's stirring words must be taken in context of the people of Sharpsburg. While Private Harlow was passing through the town and became an incidental witness to the grotesque and deplorable conditions of the field graves there, the people of Sharpsburg were living in the midst of and surrounded by the surreal landscape replete with bodies and carnage. Sights such as described by Private Harlow were everyday visions to them. What kind of adjustments did they make to avoid or become immune to seeing such things, the cruelest dream can sometimes be reality. So in April 1865, the state of Maryland set out to find and purchase a plot of land for a cemetery. They worked quickly and bought a parcel of about 11 acres on a ridge just east of Sharpsburg. After securing the property, it was transferred to the Board of Trustees for the Antietam National Cemetery with an interesting clause in the deed the clause said the property transferred was to be, quote, a place of final rest and repose for all the dead of the Antietam campaign. We'll come back to visit and examine that clause later in Chapter 3, A Tale of Two Cemeteries. For now, let's bring together two central figures, Aaron Good and the Antietam National Cemetery Board of Trustees. Sometimes I'll just refer to the latter as the ANC trustees. The first meeting of the trustees was held in Hagerstown in late May of 1865. Dr. Augustin A. Biggs of Sharpsburg was chosen as president, and a silversmith, Thomas Bolt of Hagerstown, was elected vice chair of the board. And who do you think showed up there? Aaron Good. His business at the meeting was, of course, to show the trustees that he had been busy in the days, weeks, and months following the battle and that he and Joseph Gill had a list of about 1,500 field grave locations and names of soldiers. The board was impressed. Who wouldn't be if faced with the task of building a cemetery for 8,000 bodies? Aaron Good had already done a good bit of the work they would have needed to do, and the trustees showed their appreciation. The official meeting minutes of that first meeting of the ANC trustees heap praise on Aaron Good and Joseph Gill for giving so freely of their time in pursuit of truly humane and praiseworthy efforts. This verbiage, this praise for the work of Aaron Good, is part of history now, and history, once written, can be difficult to change. The website of the Antietam National Battlefield and printed literature distributed at the park use the same remarks from the ANC trustees' first meeting to help us understand Aaron Good. 
quote, that he gave freely of his time, close quote, and was in pursuit of, quote, truly humane and praiseworthy efforts, close quote, as he exhumed bodies in the days, weeks, and months following September 1862. Out in the fields of the battlefield with Joseph Gill, making notes and keeping records, was this their real intent? I think the trustees got it wrong and that a correction is needed. I'll need to digress slightly. Years ago, I became fascinated with Aaron Good. Right after reading Bivouacs of the Dead by Stephen Stottlemyre, I started my research and tracked down every story I could find about him, then decided to write a play about this simple but heroic man of Sharpsburg. I had a view of him as a small figure of tremendous historic stature, with history that needed to be told and explained. And so I ended up writing a play about him and his work, with Aaron as a protagonist of unimpeachable resolve and character, but I got it all wrong. I often wondered about Good's motivations. What would make a person like him do what he did? Casual suggestions I've heard say maybe he was stealing from the bodies anything of value, and perhaps that's true. It's pure speculation, but it might have merit. We'll probably never know, though. About five years ago, I was searching newspaper collections for articles about Aaron Good and turned up one that was more or less a warning about him. First showing up in a Hagerstown newspaper in March 1863, and then in a Chambersburg newspaper in May 1863, the clipping suggested that people coming to Antietam to recover bodies from the fields should be made aware that Aaron Good already has the information but that he charges high prices. Here, I'll, I'll read the full news clipping. By the way, it's also found on our Facebook page, the Antietam Anthologies podcast, in a photo album for the Aaron Good Chronicles. Here we go. Soldiers who fell at Antietam. A gentleman who has just recovered the body of a relative who fell at Antietam furnishes information which may prove of value to those who wish to recover remains of friends or relatives buried there. On his way to the late battlefield, he stopped at Hagerstown at the Union Hotel, kept by Mr. Anderson, a refugee from Virginia, and was robbed of all he possessed by the rebels. He accompanied the gentleman to the battlefield and spent a day in finding and preparing the body for removal, without charge. In the village of Sharpsburg resides a man named Aaron Good, who has a list of the names of all the Union soldiers buried there, and by his help the graves can easily be found, but he demands a large fee for his services. To persons who may have friends buried in the vicinity of Sharpsburg, and who wish to recover the remains, these facts will prove of much assistance. I don't think or wonder any more about Good's motivations for digging graves and making notes about where the bodies were located, and I'm sure Aaron had no intention at all of giving freely of his time, or cared that he was engaged in less than the pursuit of truly humane or praiseworthy efforts. None of that is true. None of it. What is true is that Aaron Good was engaged in the explicit business of selling information about the locations of corpses of soldiers. He was immersed in ugly wartime profiteering. He saw an opportunity and grabbed at it. Some have called him smart for seizing the opportunity. I often think about the minutes of that first meeting of the ANC trustees and wonder why they bothered to praise good in their minutes. Why? 
Dr. Biggs lived in Sharpsburg, just a short walk from where Aaron and his sister lived, and he must have been aware, at least by 1865, that Aaron Good was charging people to guide them to bodies. And Thomas Bolt, the Hagerstown silversmith, must have read or become aware of the warnings printed in Aryan newspapers about Aaron's unique business venture. Aaron Good must have known, or been reasonably certain, when he first went into the battlefield in September 1862, that people would come to Sharpsburg to find bodies and take them home. So he and Joseph Good did the unthinkable in the name of prophets. They put in the field work to collect information, and when the sad visitors with missions of recovery did come to Sharpsburg, Good was there, ready with his list, and with a palm itchy to be stroked with cash money for payment. Like I said before, I had it all wrong about Aaron Good, but not anymore. The article about Good charging for his services gave me a completely different view of him. I didn't see him anymore as a hero, and I contemplated rewriting the play about him and transforming his character into a dark, evil presence who tormented and suffered the relatives of soldiers who'd been killed at Sharpsburg. Only the words of the minutes of the ANC trustees are wrong now and the Park Service continues to use them. I know their jobs are tough, and that there might be red tape to eliminate in the quest to correct the literature and the website info. the traffic to Sharpsburg to recover bodies must have slowed, and so Aaron Good took a second chance by showing up at that first meeting of the Antietam National Cemetery Board of Trustees with his list. Could he use the list to his advantage and go to the well one more time? Could the list pay off again? It did. The board retained Aaron and encouraged him to keep working to locate field graves and identify remains. They asked him to, quote, perfect his list, close quote. And so Aaron Good did just that. He kept digging, aggressively, again, up into the bloody work of his past in the fields around Sharpsburg. And this is how a remarkable discovery occurred. Aaron went back to the fields and rather quickly reported back to the Herald and Torch, a Hagerstown newspaper, that he had found the remains of a female Union soldier in uniform. The paper ran an announcement of the fantastic discovery on June 14, 1865. I'll quote from it here. Mr. Good, who is actively engaged collecting a list of names of the dead on Antietam Battlefield and other information for the use of the trustees, has discovered that a woman acting as a Union soldier in uniform was killed in that great battle. We have not learned her name or residence, but presume Mr. Good has all the information by which our friends will be able to identify her remains. Wow. 
It's been almost two years since I found that article. It was on a page of the newspaper that had a long, almost 2,000-word article about the first organizing meeting of the Antietam National Cemetery Board of Trustees. But this smaller article was separated from the other by an intervening article about something entirely unrelated. I'm not sure how it went undiscovered for so long. Maybe some other researcher did see it. Maybe they didn't understand or couldn't apply context to it. But there it was, and I'll never forget the moment. No one had ever documented the death of a female soldier at Antietam. This was a first. I knew what I would do. Send it to park staff. Fast. And I did. And nothing happened. Silence. Crickets. Waiting. If you're a Civil War researcher, and if you've got some access to park staff and resources, you probably wouldn't want to press hard on them, and I didn't either. Time passed slowly, and every once in a while I'd send it along again, attached to an email. More crickets. More waiting. But why should we believe the claim in the article? I'm convinced we should believe it, because at the time of the discovery of the remains of the female Union soldier, Aaron Good was working for the Antietam National Cemetery trustees. It was his job to do just what he had reported. Look for bodies and note things about them that might help provide an ID for the corpse. Good, of course, had already handled hundreds if not thousands of Civil War soldiers' remains by June 1865. Clearly, he would be able to distinguish differing anatomical features of the bodies of men and women, even if only skeletal remains. Now, why shouldn't we believe Aaron Good? I can't fathom any reason to adopt that reasoning. Think about what Aaron Good was doing for the time at, for the ANC trustees. He wasn't moving bodies around. His job was to locate remains and, if possible, to identify the body. Of course, he was also charged with keeping a record of where to find field graves. Essentially, he was creating a map of where to go when it was time to move the bodies to the Antietam National Cemetery. But that time was still months away when he discovered the remains of the female Union soldier. The map had to be reliable, because it would be used by the trustees. A reasonable inference needs to be understood here. If Good found the remains and recorded the information for the trustees to use to recover bodies for burial in the Antietam National Cemetery, then the female Union soldier found by Good is almost certainly buried there. I really don't have much doubt about that. The bodies of soldiers located by Good were not his to give away to anybody else. They were the property of the Antietam National Cemetery from the day Good found them. He would not have been authorized to transfer the bodies to anyone or sell information about the location of bodies. She must be there. She must be. This year, 2017, is the 150th anniversary of the dedication of the Antietam National Cemetery. Here is what the ANC website says about the graves there. Quote, Antietam National Cemetery, dedicated in 1867, is the final resting place for Union dead from the Civil War and service men and women from other conflicts. Close quote. Seems to me like the Park Service is saying that the Civil War soldiers buried there are all men. But is that true? I don't think so. There are 4,776 Civil War soldiers buried in the Antietam National Cemetery. Of that number, 
almost 1,900, or about 40% are unknown, unknown for eternity. But we know something now that we did not know before, that one of those gallant Union soldiers among the 1,900 unknown is a female, at least one, at least. Thanks again for listening. Up next is Chapter 2, Anecdotal Reports of Female Union Soldiers Killed at Antietam. Is there any corroborating evidence for the soldier found by Aaron Good? Tune in as we examine interesting eyewitness accounts that just might be helpful. If you've enjoyed our podcast so far, consider helping us. Can you spread the word to others by Facebook or other social media? Can you refer a friend? Can you submit a comment to us or provide a review? Our recording techniques will improve. We promise that. But if you have comments or reviews, we'd like to hear those. Don't forget, you can contribute accounts of the Civil War or accounts of relatives who served to be presented here by us in a podcast we call Hometown Civil War. Our email address is aspa91762 at gmail.com. Can you contribute financially to GoFundMe Antietam Anthologies? We're trying to raise enough to establish nonprofit historical education status. It costs. It really does. And if we don't ever clear that hurdle, we promise all remaining funds will go to Save Historic Antietam Foundation. They work to acquire properties near Antietam Battlefield that should be part of the park. Good folks. Good stewards. Again, thanks for listening. Please stay tuned for Chapter 2, Anecdotal Reports of Female Union Soldiers Killed at Antietam in the Aaron Good Chronicles. <laughs>